0: It's just after midnight, Monday, May 16th, 2022. You are listening to another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. Paul, how was your week?
1: Well, uh, had a bout of food poisoning this week. Let's just say that my body underwent a Stalinist, Putinist purge. And it did not feel good, but uh, I have lost some weight and I'm feeling a lot better.
0: Well. You- I was worried because as we, as we were getting into the studio, you took two or three bathroom breaks, and, and on Tuesday when I called you, you said, uh, I can't talk to you today. <laughs> so was-
1: yeah, so I'm trying to spare us the explicit label by providing details to our audience, but I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. Being laid out on the floor for a few days was not an enjoyable experience, but made it through. And uh, what's important is I'm here with the listeners for and with you for another great edition of the Midnight Ride. One thing I did want to mention before we we get started, we we had a great episode last week on abortion. I had a little bit of feedback from some from some users, and I two two listeners in particular give me some feedback that we did not focus enough on the responsibility that men have during. A woman's pregnancy and we were saying some things like the woman could just get the carry the pregnancy raise the child and and i had a couple listeners say well what about the men don't have their responsibility and i think that's a very valid feedback and we are going to take that to heart because we both believe that men bear just as much responsibility for care of that child as the woman does
0: well, I mean, you could say that they bear more responsibility. I mean, if you have a very traditionalist view that men are supposed to be the bedrock of support and and support a family, we had so you got some feedback. We also got one in our email inbox, and you can email us here at the Midnight Ride podcast at gmail.com. Someone wrote in, "If you praise a woman who aborted her child because she quote, did what was best for herself." Then I hope you praise men for abandoning their children, because they did what was best for themselves. So that was a meme that was circulating around, and it's absolutely the case that you know the the women have to deal with this if they have deadbeat boyfriends or whatever. And and don't want to go into don't want to make another show about this, but all of the leftist narrative about this is women you know have to do this. They have to. I mean, it's almost as if they have no choice. But you're stripping men and women of agency here. And the bottom line is you don't get pregnant by accident. You get pregnant by jumping into bed with somebody. And if you know, I think the, if you're not prepared to deal with the ultimate result of that, then maybe you shouldn't do it. And that's the bottom line. But the left is kind of stripping everybody of the narrative. We appreciate the feedback. Keep writing us. And that's
1: very well noted. So should we move along? I mean, I, I the other thing I'd love to talk about is our nation's biggest deadbeat, and that's Gavin Newsom.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as we were talking about abortion, I mean, we we should talk about California because that's the place where a lot of this, if this decision is rendered, a lot of infanticide tourism is going to occur as people from states like Texas, maybe some Tesla employees, will get a free plane ticket to Los Angeles to have an abortion. And Gavin Newsom is, I can say, as a Californian, a former Californian, the worst governor in America. A lot of people think he's the best governor in America, and he came out recently and and was bragging about a massive surplus that they have with the state's budget. You wanna talk about that, Paul?
1: Well, some people may call him the worst governor in America. Some people may call him the best governor in America. I call him a thief, (laughs) and the reason I say that is that he put a gigantic tax raise on the people of California a few years ago, and now they have a $97 billion surplus, otherwise known as they stole $97 billion of taxpayer money that they don't need. And in fact, given the size of the state at 236,259 government employees, which is about half the size of several smaller US states. I think Wyoming has around half a million people. I think Alaska has around that number. So if you take the population of those states, divide it by two, you've got the number of government employees uh, at the state level in California. So quite a bloated bureaucracy in California. And Newsom has decided that instead of giving this money back to the people of California through tax refunds, which I think should be done proportionally. So for example, if you, let's say the budget surplus is 10% of the state economy that everybody should get a 10% refund of the amount of taxes they paid. But that's not what Gavin Newsom wants to do. He's decided that he's going to do a corporate giveaway to uh, many of his cronies so let's see what he has here he's got. Can I just ask a
0: question? So this is money that was taken from probably a myriad of taxes, but California, I believe, has the high, one of the highest, if not the highest state taxes in the nation, which is a variable dep- dependent upon your tax bracket. I think it's 9.9% for normal people, and it gets up to like 133 for millionaires, right? This money goes to Sacramento, where they have a supermajority of Democrats that decide what goes on. So one party rule, if you don't want to get taxed too much, well, don't vote for Democrats in general, but if you allow the state to become a supermajority of one party, this happens. So they have this money and then they spend the budget and they have this, this money left over. Now, just a quick question for reference, Paul, and you, you might know this. A lot of states, when they have a surplus they give the money back,
1: don't they, to the taxpayers who it's their money, right? Well, of course, it's their money. And several states have balanced budget amendments, Florida being one of them. So they are not able to run a surplus or a deficit. So, for example, in a place like Florida, I think Texas is in the same boat, and there are several others like that. If you have a budget surplus, that money must be returned to the taxpayer. If, for example, you run a deficit, then there have got to be cuts in government spending to make up for that deficit to bring things in line. So it's a system where the onus is on the government to rein in their spending and give money back to taxpayers. The power lies with the taxpayers. In California, it's the opposite. The government can take, take, take from the residents as much as it wants to and then turn that money around and shower it to uh, whoever they see fit.
0: Uh, you know, Minnesota is a good example of this, and that is a a blue state. They have a, a big budget surplus, probably because they tax the hell out of people, and their governor there is proposing to give checks back, rebate checks, to the taxpayers. And now, they want to use his name in that, and of course, that's that's politics, but at least the taxpayers of Minnesota will see some of their money that they sent up there that wasn't needed to come back. And you're right, this is theft. And Gavin Newsom, this is kind of par for the course. They have the highest gas prices, I believe, or some of the highest gasoline prices in the nation. And rather than rebate some of their their massive, close to $1 per gallon in taxes that California has, which is unique to California, they're proposing to give a small amount of money per vehicle registered instead of just having a a holiday on the gas tax because Newsom knows that when people see that when they can really see how much they're paying
1: they'll get upset it's uh well let's also remember how how great it is for Gavin Newsom to send these checks in the mail with his signature on it to so many residents of the state hey Gavin Newsom just gave me 400 bucks better vote for him yeah that's but i mean I don't think
0: even Californians will fall for that one. But why Why is he not doing that like Minnesota is doing? Governor Waltz uh, in Minnesota is giving $1,000 per couple. This is not related to motor vehicles. A lot of people don't have cars. But um, there's a lot of people in California who have paid a tremendous price. A lot of the elites, maybe they don't need the money back. But the, the income inequality in California is staggering. And a lot of the middle-class families are struggling to
1: survive, and that's why you see so many people leaving the state. It is true. It is true. So let's go and look at some of the pieces of this package that Newsom is, has stated that he wants to do to, to essentially use this surplus. And it's actually, he's calling it an inflation relief package, which I like to call a inflation production package. Because... What he's proposing is just going to make the inflation worse by uh, throwing all this money around. So first is $11.5 billion to pay for these checks for all of the registered vehicle owners. So it's $400 checks to every registered vehicle owner in the state, capped at two checks per individual. So sounds interesting for somebody that's trying to wean people off of the car and encourage public transportation.
0: Well, they have no choice. I mean, the gasoline thing, if they don't do something, you know, they got to do something. So this is the minimum. And that's pretty telling. I mean, California, $11 billion. I mean, this is California's like the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, if you put them as a country. So th- this is a lot of money we're talking about here. And yet, in, if they had done the gas tax holiday for, say, a month or three months, it could have
1: been even more staggering. Exactly. It could have. So there's a few more. 2.7 billion dollars for emergency rental assistance for low-income tenants who who sought state rental assistance prior to March 31st. So paying for people's rent. Obviously, they're not putting, they don't put requirements on that. So you obviously, you know, there's no rule saying you can't use drugs. You know, you can still have your satellite dish on your house, anything like that. But the state will pay for your rent. 1.4 1.4 billion to assist residents with past due utility bills, including 1.2 billion dedicated to electricity bills, 200 million for water bills. So the state keeps increasing the the utility bills um, primarily because of the fact that they have been so lacking on their infrastructure for years and years and years to deal with these wildfires that they've had to increase these bills and now they're going to pay for the bills so, Sounds like a giant Ponzi scheme. What do you think? No,
0: uh, it, it absolutely is. I mean, th- this smacks so much of—it's very similar to the Build Back Better plan, right? Where there's there's some vote buying, but there's also a lot of you know rewards for people who are involved with the party, unions, etc. This is this is like organized
1: crime. We're talking about. I know, I know. It's insane. The other thing that was interesting in that utility piece that I mentioned is $200 million for water bills. So the state itself is in a huge drought. L.A. has put in water restrictions. In the midst of this, there has been a lot of statistics out there that are showing that water bills have gone up. So but they're giving away, they're paying for $200 million of people's water bills. What is that going to do? If water is costing you a lot of money, just like any supply and demand, you might water your lawn less. You might take shorter... Sh- As they should. Yeah, exactly. As you should. You might, you could take one, you know, instead of a 10-minute shower, take a nine-minute shower, right? All of that, that will reduce your water bill. And that will cause, so that'll be, you'll save money, you're conserving water for the state. The state is essentially by paying for these water bills, they're encouraging residents to use more water. They are. They're going to use more water because they're not feeling the pain.
0: Exactly. And you don't understand if you live in a place like, I don't know, Newport Beach or Laguna Niguel, where they just had a major wildfire the other day that destroyed a dozen homes or something like that. You don't understand... You know, the water that's being taken out of the Colorado River or other places that other states also need, places like Arizona, because your governor is subsidizing the cost. Listen, you know, if it did if the rain didn't fall on your house or or
1: your property, then you're getting that water from somewhere and you should pay for it. Exactly. It's this whole idea that the governor, the government is just going to have, you know, give everybody free stuff. (laughs) and with no accountability for anything is crazy. So I don't get it at all. So we've got a few more here. This one's not bad. 933 million for hospital and nursing home staff, including $1,500 to workers who delivered care during the COVID pandemic. I have absolutely no problem with that. Yeah, none. That's fine. I'd love to see bonuses for police officers. As well for people you that, know
0: we're gonna a little bit later on in the show we're gonna talk about a federal program that is or a federal issue that is impacting healthcare workers in california in a big way this is another one of the things that was brought up to us by a listener so yeah absolutely i mean these are our
1: heroes good to see that they're being taken care of yep 750 million for free public transit for up to three months does that does that make any sense like why all of a sudden is is that so more homeless people can ride around on the bus all day listen this is the state you know saying to its its people
0: you know get on these because they they do have problems in california with emissions and things like that and and gas prices are high i mean if my tax dollars allow me i don't it, is it, is everyone eligible for this if if so i don't have a problem with
1: it i don't see how everybody could be eligible because if if you've got 40 million people in the state that, you know, by, and you're giving away 750 million for free public transit. That's what about, uh,
0: many people will not take advantage of it. I mean, the, the, the housing prices are so high that somebody who works say, you know, at, at a Navy base in San Diego, is living up in Riverside County and having to drive an hour and a half both ways
1: every morning. They cannot take advantage of that. So, Well, and public transit in in California is awful. True. So if you want to have better public transit, invest in better public transit. Don't give away for three months free public transit on a crappy system. And why for three months? Is this specific three months coming up just have any level of, import, it, it, level of importance to it. Or maybe no one's using it and it just keeps the things running for three more months. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I used to live in California. Sometimes I rode the bus and I was like the only one on it. And maybe some homeless people. This was in New York, but I remember riding the air train in New York and it smelled awful. There were just homeless people living on the... So maybe that's just an expenditure that
0: isn't... Who knows where that money's going? I mean, I wouldn't put anything past this guy. Exactly.
1: Here's another, in, uh, another good one, and we can talk a little bit about this in a bit. $439 million to halt the diesel sales tax for 12 months.
0: Yeah, that's, that's another one of our topics today. Continue.
1: $157 million to waive preschool and childcare fees for low-income families, resulting in $595 in savings per month per family. That's an interesting one but that's once again it's temporary. But it is a significant amount
0: of money but and it is going it's basically going to a certain
1: segment of the population. It is. Pro- probably not people who pay taxes. Exactly. So the it's it's essentially once again a giveaway to people who pay no taxes,
0: a giveaway to people who are reliable voters for the Democratic Party. This is a staggering amount of money in a surplus. And the people who sent that money to Sacramento get virtually no services and
1: they're not getting the money back. Exactly. And let's not let's not forget also increasing the minimum wage to 1550 beginning January 1st, 2023, which, 2023, which will fuel inflation. Yep. Yeah, which will fuel even more inflation. And last but not least, of course, paying for people from out of state to fly in for abortions. We all know that's an extremely important part of, of that budget surplus.
0: Yeah. this is This is just ridiculous. I should point out, remember, this is a guy who had some sort of wine business. He was very well-connected. He was connected with I believe the Getty family, and his aunt married into the Pelosi family. He was nephew by marriage of Nancy Pelosi. Now, his aunt ended up divorcing the Pelosi that she was married to. But this guy came out of virtually nowhere to become the mayor of San Francisco. And a lot of these policies are incredibly destructive. They don't achieve what they hope for. You know, the minimum wage thing is a great example. That's going to That's gonna hurt the inflation even more. And the homeless crisis. It is absolutely terrible, worst in the nation. We've talked about this. If you're anywhere in a major city in California, if you're driving around, you're seeing tent encampments everywhere. And um, I was listening to, I think it was yesterday, the, the Morning Wire podcast by The Daily Wire. They did an investigation into the homeless crisis in San Francisco and i don't know if these are state policies there's certainly probably some city money being spent but the you know the idea that you could pay for hotels uh, i was just in massachusetts recently staying at a hotel and there there were homeless people up and down my floor there was a cigarette smoke marijuana smoke i went and asked and yeah they were getting subsidies to stay at this hotel this happens in a big way in california especially in san francisco and what they found was that 25% of the people that were staying in these hotels died in the rooms, Paul. Oh, my God. I mean, in some cases, they wouldn't even find these people until the stench from their rotting corpse was, you could smell it. They also found that, uh, you know, another significant percentage just left. They would prefer to live in the streets. It was something between 25 and 30 percent of the people just left. And and of course, you know, the people were defecating, you know, in furniture drawers and, and destroying uh, sinks
1: and, you know, toilets and things like well, that. Well, what's even worse out of this, I mean, it's I, I saw a, an article about a hotel in Austin, Texas, that was purchased for nine million dollars to become a homeless shelter. The entire place was vandalized. Nearly every door was bashed in. according to a Austin council member, the entire hotel was stripped of copper. <laughs> yeah, for theft. They have a, there's photos of this. Uh, it's on foxnews.com. Maybe the uh, uh, we can tweet it out uh, so everybody can see it. But uh, nearly uh, according to this council member, nearly every door is bashed in. Clothing, belongings, trash were strewn throughout the property. Several televisions were ripped from the drywall and stolen. Washers, dryers, air conditioning systems, electrical wiring were all destroyed. Uh, it was a Candlewood Suites uh, located in Northwest Austin. Paul, you talked about this before when, you know, earlier on in the show, a
0: few, several episodes ago. We can talk all we want about the midterms and we're, you know, inside of 100, we're about six months out now and we better respond. But it's it's really these local government, these state governments and local governments. And you mentioned right after the recall failed, Newsom went even more hard left with things like mandatory ethnic studies classes for high school kids to graduate and other ridiculous ways to spend taxpayer money. It pains me to say this because, you know, I'm a Californian. My parents were born and raised in California. My grandparents were raised in California. But the state, which used to have people like George Duke Majin, Pete Wilson, and Ronald Reagan as governor, has become a cesspool. And if you're not getting robbed, you know, on on April 15th by the California Franchise Tax Board, you're getting robbed in the streets. Uh, You know, the crime is skyrocketing everywhere in California, not just in the in the urban enclaves, but also now out in the suburbs. Whenever Newsom comes up for reelection, he will be reelected because of the supermajority of Democratic voters. And, and that's not a mistake. I mean, you know, the socialist policies perpetuate this into eternity.
1: Well, if he he's calling his inflation relief package a pro-life policy and he's doing this double speak thing here to sort of go wade into that abortion debate and try to attract attention. And he talked about all of the, the precautions that they took to keep the death rate down during COVID, which I know. And he's and he goes. Uh, so then he starts bashing some of these other states like Florida and Texas. You know, if you're pro-life, how the hell is this possible? spare me their mantra on being pro-life. They don't deserve that status. And, you know, I I actually, Paul Runyon has now come up with the best plan ever to be pro-life so that no citizen dies. I think each individual should be locked in their home in solitary confinement forever, be fed by the government, remote medical care, no one ever allowed to leave, complete monitoring by the government. So maybe you're, you're hooked up with your you have your ekg and your vital signs hooked up to you 24 hours a day, you're strapped to a bed, you're maybe fed through a tube and no one will ever die. How does that sound for pro
0: life? <laughs> Sadly, some California voters as long as they have Netflix or whatever would probably be okay with that. You know, this is there's a debate going on, you know, with I have a very dear friend who just left California, moved to Idaho. And basically said, I, I can't do this anymore. And there's other people that say, what happens if all of you leave, we'll never win in California. I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of my, my friend who now lives in Idaho. I don't think it can be. I think it has to go completely to hell before this gets fixed. And, you know, you, you look at the people who, you know, are, are protesting outside of Amy Comey Barrett's home, the hand, handmade tale. These are miserable people. And so the hellscape, you know, dystopia that Newsom is installing, you know, eventually will backfire, but I don't think it can be fixed. If you live in California and you're thinking about getting out, get out while you still can. And uh, and with that, we'll close the segment. When we come back, healthcare and Medicare specifically, there is a problem going on with federal funding that could affect if you're on Medicare, it could affect your relationship between you and your doctor will talk about that when the midnight ride returns. We're back, and we're going to talk Medicare here in just a second. But before we do, we would be remiss, Paul, I think, if we did not, for just for a second, just say that to the families of the the ten people murdered in Buffalo over the weekend, our prayers go out to each and every one of, of those folks, and and just another horrific mass killing uh, up in upstate new york, and uh, it hurts every time this happens. I mean, it's happened a lot in our country over the past twenty years, and I bet you if we went back in history, we could find a lot of mass killings time it happens it is uh
1: very painful, and our prayers go out to everyone there exactly it's uh it's very it's a tough situation. I feel horrible for the victims. unfortunately, it seems that the left is trying to use this to their advantage again. I saw the governor of New York calling for restrictions on speech, on social media, about against white supremacy. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe Scary Poppins of the, uh, the Minister of Truth will have to get involved. I don't remember the similar calls for that after the guy ran over the Christmas parade in Waukesha or some of these other mass killings where non-white people in the last six months, have taken out several people. I, I just think that's very unhelpful for a leader of a state to do that. You can regulate guns, you can regulate speech. I, I don't think you can regulate hatred. I wish you could, but I don't, I don't think you can do that. And the fact of the matter is, is that their side, and I'm talking about the leftists, is guilty just as much, if not more. Remember the, uh, the guy that shot up the congressional baseball practice. I mean, political violence is very often
1: coming. He was like a Bernie Sanders volunteer, wasn't he?
0: Yes. You know, and each time the news media just, you know, memory holds it immediately so that it gets forgotten. But at the midnight ride, we remember, I I don't think it's helpful, you know, to to do this because, you know, there's, there's hatred on both sides of the aisle and and we'll never get past it if it's, well, look, look what they did. No, we need to figure out a, a way to improve the mental health of our young people. I think this shooter was 18 years old, Paul.
1: Yeah, 18. I mean, these are people that, as we've seen, young folks that have mental health problems uh, that feel isolated, that feel lonely, that maybe uh, are just at home and uh, addicted to their devices and have created uh, almost an alternate universe for themselves. That's a real problem, and we have to find a way to reach out to people, get them mental health care that they deserve, and ensure that these kinds of things don't happen and, and potentially intervene and help rescue these folks. But we have too many people falling through the cracks. I don't think that government is the answer to fixing this. I think that faith-based organizations, community groups, people coming together, I think parenting is a huge piece of this. Uh, it's a very complicated problem, but it's one that we have to fix.
0: Absolutely. It, it absolutely is a community problem. And and also, you know, mental health, which might be a good segue into this next segment. One of our listeners, uh, who goes by NC Navy Mom from Carlsbad, California, writes us about a Medicare cut. Okay. Now, apparently this is, you were in the military, uh, as was I. We remember this thing called Sequestration, right? That if the federal government cannot come to a budget agreement,
1: the military gets cut by a certain amount. Do you remember that? This happened from, so just to give some context, this happened in 2011 as a result of the debt ceiling. There was, uh, we were in the middle of a recession. Obama was president and he, spending was ballooning. He was trying to essentially you know, spend and print and spend and print. Sounds familiar to what's happening right now. And, uh, but he wanted to cut defense spending
0: a little bit more warranted in a recession, right. To make some cuts on spending. I'm not not, Listen, the sequestration thing, which by the way, was Obama's idea was an abomination because they couldn't, they couldn't make the painful decisions. So this was their way of, of punting and just to use a Uh, cleaver and not be surgical with the cuts and just say, boom, we're going to cut like this. A bad idea. But at least there was some there was a recession. I mean, but
1: it's still going. I mean, the
0: sequester is still happening to this day, which is why we're doing this segment to update people on what's going on, what the ramifications of that decision were. My only point was Biden's idiotic policies. He inherited the supercharged Trump economy. And, you know, the pandemic. Yeah, that was a that was a a bump in the road. But his response has put us where we are. Biden's uh, boss, uh, Barack Obama, made this decision. And now here comes the consequences. Right. I mean, here we are 11 years later and it's affecting not just our military, but apparently what I didn't realize was on the discretionary side, there are
1: cuts as well. Yeah, there's, I mean, cuts on everything, and that includes Medicare.
0: Yeah, so on March 10th of this year, Congress approved a $1.5 trillion federal appropriations bill, but it needed to include language that would immediately address more than 10% in statutory cuts to Medicare reimbursements. So that included a 1% cut on Medicare reimbursements that went into effect on April 1st, okay? And that became a 2% cut on May 1st, okay? So I think what's happening here, Paul, is that the federal, you know, Medicare is, and my mom's on Medicare. These are, you know, families that cannot afford to pay. They don't have health insurance. So the federal government subsidizes their care. And that money goes to the doctors from Uncle
1: Sam, but now that has been cut by 2%, and it hurts doctors. It really does. You know when you go to the doctor and you know you have an appointment for like 10 a.m. and then there's like 25 people in the waiting room and they all have appointments for 10 a.m. and then you, you suddenly realize that you're waiting there for an hour and it's like, what, is this? what does this even mean? Like how do I even have an appointment? Like why do they even do this? Yeah, why did I even get an appointment? It happens to me all the time. Yeah, why did I even get an appointment? And, and that's, that's because – The doctors get paid so little by Medicare, and this is especially for doctors that take Medicare. They get paid so little that in order for them to make any money at all, they've got to like double, triple, quadruple book appointments. Remember, these doctors have a huge amount of red tape and regulations and privacy and records management. So they've got You've got uh, people that work at the front desk. You've got the records people. You've got billing. You have finance. The amount of paperwork to process these insurance claims is immense. Uh, You've got the real estate. So people think that doctors are living high on the hog. That's just not the case. They've, you know, in some cases, they're getting reimbursed 20 bucks. I don't know what it is. Could be $10, $20, maybe $40 for an appointment, a doctor's appointment for Medicare. That's not a lot of money. So in order to make this math work, uh, doctors have to to book so many people at the same time and see an inordinate amount of people per day. That's why the doctor runs in for 10 minutes, hey, how you doing, leaves, comes back, he's got to see somebody else. That's what happens when Medicare reimbursements get cut.
0: Well, you know, the immortal words of Waylon Jennings, you know, mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Let them grow up to be doctors and lawyers. Well, you know, you think... I want my kid to be a doctor because they're going to make a bunch of money. Medicare is now, you know, being cut by 2%. And according to our listener out there in California, in San Diego County, which is one of the more affluent counties, but it also has a a huge percentage of Medicare users, good doctors, a lot of them have chosen to retire this year, partly because their businesses are getting hit. And let's not forget, That the federal government, when we talked about this on the Midnight Ride, the Supreme Court ruled against some of the vaccine mandates, but not the mandates for healthcare workers. And those workers, if they were not vaccinated, the doctors or the the hospitals and the medical offices were getting hit with a $30,000 fine per occurrence of unvaccinated employees. So you had a lot of nurses who were forced to to quit Scripps Hospital in San Diego County had a 30% loss of their workforce earlier this year, Paul. So these are federal policies, including the sequestration legislation that, that Obama and the Congress signed in 2011 or 12, that is basically, I won't say decimating, but putting a serious dent in not only the profit margin, for these these doctors, but also causing the workforce to decrease. So you're gonna have people overworked and underpaid. And I don't think you want that in what was,
1: I think the best medical system in the world. The government has this unique ability to screw up everything it touches. I don't understand every rule they make ends up screwing things up even more. I'd almost rather just have permanent gridlock in the government so that it can't get anything done and just stop with the wreckage and the destruction that is continuing to wreak on everyday Americans?
0: I mean, right now,
1: due to our federal
0: government, the Food and Drug Administration, we have a shortage in baby formula in the United States. There's surpluses in Europe and those Air Force planes that are bringing over the missiles and the bombs for the Ukrainians could stop in Germany and and London, you know, and and bring back, be loaded with baby formula. But because of the FDA, that's not happening.
1: Wait, But I heard if you're an illegal alien, you can have as much as you want.
0: Well, maybe not as much as you want, but they do have pallets of baby formula on the Rio Grande because we have a responsibility to take care of these people, but not our our average uh, Americans, apparently. You're right. I mean, uh, government is... We retweeted here on the Midnight Ride someone called No One at Tweet Truth to me, who a couple of days ago tweeted out, "I wish we had a government shortage. Government is stifling us, Paul." And um, our next segment will definitely talk about that. But just you know, for all the healthcare workers, again, we we relied on you so much during the pandemic and due to this day. I th- it was important, and, and thank you to this listener for bringing it to our attention to understand that doctors they're not all making millions and millions every year and just sticking it to the patient they're they're in it for the right reasons they're trying to help patients and they're getting screwed by government policies
1: just like we are they sure are and you know thank a doctor don't realize that they're doing the best they can you know they take that hippocratic oath when they go to medical school despite all the other things they may be learning in medical school now, like systemic racism, they still do have to do that uh, Hippocratic oath, which means do no harm. And they are bound by that and they do that. And they just take the licks from the government that continues to not appreciate them and blame them for everything and think the government's the answer. But our doctors are our heroes, especially during this pandemic. Uh, And we uh, owe them a debt of gratitude. And I I feel bad for what they have to go through.
0: Absolutely, our nurses as well, all of those people, we they have our deepest gratitude. When we come back, as Paul Runyon just said, government, everything it touches, it destroys, and nowhere do we feel that more right now than at the gas pump. We'll talk about that when we come back on The Midnight Ride. Back for the final segment now. And Paul, it's been a rough year economically for Americans. Earlier last week, the consumer price index inflation came back. It was still over 8%. And the stock market tanked all week, except for Friday. We had a, a little bit of a, a green light on Friday. But for the most part, stock market is tanking. And then the news comes out, I think on Wednesday, right around the time that the inflation figures came out, that the federal government and this came directly from the biden administration denied the ability to for leases or denied leasing permits paul what exactly was that news so the
1: government was going to do an auction for oil and gas leases in alaska's cook inlet as well as uh, offshore uh, in the gulf of mexico so there's federal land They said, we're going to lease this land out and oil companies would be eligible to bid to drill uh, for oil and gas on that land. Now, these happen from time to time and the interior department did something very odd and they said that we are canceling these auctions due to lack of industry interest. Now, what I find fascinating about this is that the industry itself Said, hey, hey, wait a minute. That's where are you coming up with that? We're we're interested in this. We want to bid on this. And I think what the government is saying is, well, there was no public uh, intention to bid from any of the companies. And the oil companies are saying, well, we don't want to publicly say we're bidding because that's going to tell other companies that we're going to bid, and then they're going to bid, and then the price is going to b- get bid up. So we're trying to be competitive with this. And, you know, once again, showing the government's complete lack of knowledge of how the industry works. So they decide to to cancel this. I mean, the fact that you could think of lack of, in, of industry interest when oil prices are at $110 a barrel is beyond me. But this sounds more like uh, they're sort of placating the environmentalists. So what I found even more interesting about this is that I went back and looked. The same exact thing happened in 2011. There was a lease sale. Uh, for the Cook Inlet, uh, and they announced for the exact same reason, they canceled it, lack of interest, with no further details. So so that happened before. In 2017, shortly after Donald Trump became president, those tracts, 14 tracts covering 76,000 acres in the inlet, they went and they awarded it. So interesting that as soon as uh, Trump became president, uh, these bids happened, there seemed to be interest. So something seems a little fishy here that uh, under Democratic administrations, they're canceling these oil and gas lease bidding, saying there's no interest. When it appears there is interest. There, of, there, of course there's interest. I, I mean, so that is
0: that is a lie. But, you know, listen, when people tell you who they are and what their intentions are, you should listen to them. I mean, President Biden was elected by a segment. This is democracy at work in a way because, you know, a lot of people do care about climate change. And the belief is that fossil fuel emissions are a major contributor to that. So they want to get Americans off of oil and gas and coal, apparently, although I think coal is being used a lot right now. So they, they put into place policies that basically took us from a net energy exporter under Donald Trump to one that is now, unfortunately, dependent on other countries to to bring oil and gas here. I mean, we talked about this with the whole Ukraine thing, that we were, a few months ago, we were buying 7% of our oil from a despotic regime in Moscow. Um, We're not doing that anymore. So we're looking maybe to places like Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, UAE. Those people told us to pack sand. So we're in a does North Korea have oil? That would be a great place. Well, I'm sh- exactly. That's probably coming next. So this news of these leases being denied came at a time in a, in a week where U.S. prices at the pump rose to an all-time record high of $4.43 per gallon of gas and up to $5.56 for diesel. We'll touch on diesel in just a second. But if this is a supply and demand thing, Paul— wouldn't it make sense for a country that has the what was the name of the inlet again? The Cook Inlet. The Cook Inlet, the Permian Basin in in Texas and New Mexico, all the offshore. All the offshore in the Gulf of Mexico and even California, actually. And also uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, lots of, you know and a potential boon from the Keystone pipeline as well. We would never have to rely on any other countries. And we would not be paying anywhere close to what we're paying now, $4.43. But we have a Secretary of Energy and Jennifer Granholm who laughs, literally laughs at these kinds of questions. I'm sorry, if you don't like this, buy a Tesla. Oh, no, sorry, Tesla's not union. Buy an electric car and, you know, reward our, our union friends and,
1: and you know, everything will be okay. Yeah, they're, it's so two-faced that... Uh it's beyond me. And this, this is what happens when you've got these people at think tanks in DC, they work behind their keyboards. They don't have to drive to work. They don't have to drive to go work at Chick-fil-A or Walmart or, uh, or target or wherever, you know, they, you know, use their gender studies degree to get their marketing social media job where they can just get their deliveries and they don't even experience these things. And, and they, they say, you know, yeah, the climate crisis, let's, let's just stop fossil fuels and don't think about any ramifications. And this is what happens when you make decisions in an ivory tower, which is what the uh, left-wing elite are doing. Well, let's just give
0: them the benefit of the doubt and say, let's say for the sake of argument, and, and there's much debate on this, I know the science is settled and all that, so let's just assume that it is.
1: Are these policies- Wait, you mean the science settled that the Earth is going to end in twelve years. Well, I <laughs> exactly. guess it's ten years now. Or wait, when did Al- How, When did AOC say that?
0: I think it's it's. We're at about. We have about nine years left. Nine or ten. Nine years, years left of the, uh, to live on Earth. Though. Okay, but let's assume that that's true. First of all, climate has changed since the Earth, since the Lord created the Earth, right? I mean, that we had an ice age. I think in the nineteen eighties, they were predicting a second ice age would have already occurred by now. But now they're saying that. To stave off Armageddon,
1: we, we have to do this. Connor, we need to do a an episode at some point. I got to get a list together of all of the fake climate projections over the last, say, 30, 40 years. I remember Al Gore saying that there would be no Arctic ice left by 2013.
0: Yeah, we, that, we'll that we do that one on Earth Day as a special.
1: Yeah, Leah, let's do that. That's a great idea.
0: Um, yeah, because they did say there was going to be another ice age. There was going to be all these... There was going to be no Arctic ice. I mean, listen, I, I want there to be Arctic ice, and it is melting. So let's just, for the sake of argument... My son loves polar
1: bears, too, by the way, so...
0: Yeah, polar bears and penguins are... are. I mean, everybody loves them, right? So for the sake of argument, let's let's give them that, that the use of cars powered by combustion engines is the problem. Are these policies, which they whether they're lying about it or not, you know the, the increased price of gasoline, is that causing people to burn less fossil fuel?
1: I don't know. I have no idea.
0: Well, let's hope so. Because if not, this act that they're doing is probably lining the pockets of their cronies, right? Screwing over ordinary Americans, fueling inflation, and really hurting most Americans when we could have our own energy surpluses, lower prices, and better national security. Because our national security is at risk because of decisions like this.
1: It is. It is. And to give you an idea of that, Saudi Aramco, which is the now the largest company in the world after the, the recent stock market crash and Apple lost its, its uh, crown as most valuable company, Saudi Aramco, the Saudi national oil company, has reported record earnings, and a lot of that is directly due to these left-wing policies.
0: Yeah, and we are no longer friends, apparently, with the Saudis because of the Khashoggi killing or whatever the case may be, until the next president will probably— Well, they won't talk. The Saudis won't pick up the phone to talk to They, Biden. they will not talk to Joe Biden, I know. And, that, and listen, none of us like the human rights record of Saudi Arabia, but there's a reason why the United States has had certain friends. And listen, if you like paying 443, you know, keep voting for people like Jennifer Granholm and Joe Biden. But I want to talk about inflation. I want to talk about the broader impacts. And I saw an article this week from Phil Rosen of uh, Business Insider, Markets Insider, you know, of course, clickbait headline. If you think gas prices are bad, diesel is in its worst crisis since the 1970s. And there are a lot of parallels, of course, between Joe Biden and Jimmy Carter in terms of being awful in this, and has even raised fears of localized rationing. So diesel prices have surged 76% in in the last year, and there is believed that there is a shortage in diesel now. Diesel is what fuels those big rigs that fuel the American economy, that drive people around. I, you know, we, our trucker friends, you know, truckers of the world unite, we said a month ago on the Midnight Ride. But, you know, the people that bring you your clothing, your food, your video game components, all of that stuff, drive those big rigs that take diesel. Also, farm machinery, Paul. If there's going to be rationing of diesel – What do you think the prices are gonna be at the grocery store
1: next month? It's just gonna keep going up and up and up. The price of goods, inflation's not coming down, no matter what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates. As long as we have these kinds of shortages, this is gonna keep getting worse. And this really is an American-specific problem. I mean, our inflation in the U.S. is running well above what it is in other developed countries, I think almost double. You don't see these kinds of problems uh, in other parts of the world with the shortages in the supermarkets and everything else. This is it, the economy is completely being ruined. It is. Let me just continue on this and we'll touch on that. So
0: according to the head of America oil Analyst at Refinitive, this is a quote tailwind. This is in Rosen's article. This is a tailwind for inflation. We're demanding more diesel than anyone can supply. Inventories nationally in diesel have dropped 43% since 2020. In the Central Atlantic region, inventories have crashed 78%, lowest in a decade. And in New York, the situation is so dire that refinery magnate John Kissimatis told Bloomberg, quote, I would not be surprised to see diesel being rationed on the East Coast this summer. As you say, Paul, there's no shortage in the supermarkets in Europe. There's no shortage of baby formula in Europe. I mean, some of these mothers, you know, if, if you have triplets, if you are one of many American mothers who breastfeeds but cannot produce enough breast milk to sustain, you know, your child. And what does the White House have to say? Well, Jen Psaki, and thankfully, I think Friday was her last day, she says, well, talk to your doctor about that. Remember when this clown got elected and they said,
1: the adults are back in charge. We can't even get food. We can't even get food. I mean, this is starting to resemble the Soviet Union with bread lines, shortages, food shortages from the collective farming. The government directs these things and it, it never works out. What are they fighting for, Paul? I mean, the, the, again, there's a
0: surplus of baby formula in Europe, but our FDA will not allow that to come over here. No, they're fighting
1: for ra- racial equity. Yeah, they're fighting for abortion. Abortion, equity, slave reparations, all the things that the American people are worried about. I mean, so the the, the midterms cannot come soon enough, but we wanted to
0: raise this story because this week when the all-time record was shattered for gas prices— this decision was made about the Cook Inlet. And so, I mean, I know Americans are paying attention and I know, but this this midterm needs to be the biggest red wave, you know, since, you know, 1996. And, and maybe even, I, this needs to be that kind of earth shattering contract with America ty- kind of midterm. And I think it will be if this kind of stuff continues. Completely.
1: And uh, before we wrap it up today, I want to say that, Madison Cawthorn's primary is coming up tomorrow, and we've talked a lot about him in the last few days. We want him on the show. <laughs> yeah, we I, yeah love to love to have him on the show sometime. But but is he has he been perfect? No. Has he made some immature stakes mistakes? Yes. But does he stand for the values that we believe in of freedom, small government? Uh, does he stand up to the corporate interests and the crony capitalists? Yes. So I just want to wish Madison Cawthorn good luck on uh, on Tuesday in his primary. I want to, if his,
0: if his handlers are listening, I want him on the show. I also hope he wins because as one of our listeners said a couple of weeks ago, they're going after him very hard for a reason. And uh, I want to see all of these quote unquote ultra MAGA Republicans winning because it's about time we start thinking about the pocketbook of the average American. And if you're an average American listening to us right now, we want to thank you for joining us on the midnight ride. We really appreciate you giving us a subscription and a five-star rating. And most importantly, tell a friend about this podcast. We, we see you every Monday morning and uh, we want to see you next week when we come back for, for Paul, I'm Connor. Thank you for listening to another edition of the midnight ride podcast. We'll see you next week.